I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. In episode 99 of the Food About Town podcast, I went on a bit of a solo adventure, talking about some food topics, some non-food topics, touched on my trip to Ithaca with a bunch of local food people, talked about some food news in Rochester recently, a couple uh, openings and closings, also touched on some recent movies I saw, and touched on uh, some music that was a big part of my younger years and a concert that I'm hoping to go see. So I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to try to do a few more off-food topics in the near future, both by myself and with guests, just to keep it fresh and try out different things. You keep on doing this for a long time, you end up wanting to experiment a little bit more. So got the studio, so let's see what happens. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you have any thoughts on what to call these more random topics, uh, let me know. i got to come up with some sort of name for these for this series, so let me know what you think. If you have any ideas, uh, ping me at Stromy on Twitter or Instagram, or send me a message on Food About Town on Facebook. Thanks for listening. start off the podcast this week talking about the recent trip I had going down to Ithaca for a food tour with a bunch of Rochester-based food people. Uh, we had a wide-ranging group. I think it was nine total people that went down for this tour, which was hosted by the Ithaca is Foodies group, which they do food-based tours all around Ithaca, different varieties. This one was a bit customized for us. And it was, a, it was a very interesting time. We, we went down a bit early on a Saturday to you know, get, get a bit of a feel for Ithaca. I've been down a couple times, but hadn't spent a ton of time there. Went down a little bit early with uh, Chris Clemens from Exploring Upstate, who organized the whole thing, which one I greatly appreciate because I doubt I ever would have gone through the effort to do that. And Went down, we drove down with Adam Wilcox from the Democrat and Chronicles Cheap Eats column, Amanda Antonor, who does restaurant reviews for the Democrat and Chronicle as well. And we went down a car together and got a chance to hang out a little bit before the, the tour started around noontime. We stopped into one of the locations of Gimme Coffee, which you can get here in Rochester at Ugly Duck. It's one of their uh, base espressos. And they're distributed all over New York State. But we got to go to one of their shops. Uh, get a nice kickstart to the day, and stopped into an interesting store. It's a co-op. It was called Green Star Market, which uh, I'd seen driving through Ithaca. I'd been a couple times before, but had never stopped in. It's a very well-formed, very well-formed market. It's kind of like here in Rochester. It's sort of a cross like between what Lori's Natural Foods is and what Abundance Co-op is. But it's very, it seems very integrated into Ithaca. It seems 
much it seems very Ithaca. It, it's a hard thing to describe. It was very well attended, and it seemed like really an integrated part of the community. And it was really nice to see that, you know, checking that out. We were sort of just walking around getting a feel for it, uh, and I grabbed a green water, which it was you know, it was a very weird little station, sort of a juice bar, but they had this chlorophyll and mint flavored water, and grabbed a grabbed a cup of that before we went to get coffee. It was kind of like drinking a green mint tea. It was lighter than it looked because the the color of it was just this super dark emerald green, uh, sort of translucent, but it it tasted almost like just mint water. So it, it looked a lot more scary than it actually was, and it was kind of a kind of a nice start to the day. At that point, we def- I definitely needed some water, and yeah, it was it was nice to spend a few minutes hanging out before we went to our first stop on the Ithaca is Foodies tour. Uh, we met up at the Moosewood restaurant, which I'd heard about, but had never been. It's kind of a legendary vegetarian restaurant in Ithaca. Another co-op. Um, actually, I'm not sure what you call it. Is a co-op or a collective? So it's owned by the owned by a number of different people that all work in and around the restaurant. And sort of a legendary restaurant. They've had something like 14 cookbooks come out over the years, and number of James Beard Awards for cookbooks, which for any restaurant in upstate New York is kind of staggering. And we got to start off our tour there. And the other, before I forget, the other people that came along on this tour, this is kind of a who's who in Rochester food writing. Uh, We had uh, Julia from Follow Your Fork. We had Lynn Phillips from Sriracha Says. uh, Pete Weiner and Leah Stacy from Boomtown Table. And Stephanie Hanna from Sip and Savor Rochester. That was a kind of a murderous row of who's who in Rochester uh, food on social media, writing, uh, pretty much all over the place. So it was a nice group, and it was nice. We, we got to move around and talk to different people. Nice variety for the day. But we started at the Moosewood, had a nice, uh, what was that, butternut squash latke, I believe, was one of the dishes with a sort of caramelized vinegary fennel. It was a very, very nice dish, and served along with a couple couple soups, which I think were a little better received along the whole table. It was, it was a nice, it was a nice little combination of food to start off the day. And that was, that was around noontime when we ate there. Um, bounced around, learned a bit about Ithaca on our walking tour, a few random history notes, went to, what was, what was the second stop? The second stop was a, a street food inspired place which we had these duck fried, duck fat fried duck wings, which were obscenely crunchy and sort of salt and pepper seasoned like you'd get at a Chinese restaurant. It was a Luna inspired street food, which was, that was our second stop, sort of with a mango puree. Love the seasoning on the wings and a kind of place I wouldn't mind going back and checking out. It's a very diversified sort of fusion-y street food place with dishes inspired from all over the country and all over the world. So kind of place you can definitely dive into a bit more. We went to uh, Coltivare, I believe it was pronounced. This is through Tompkins Cortland Community College. And it was a very interesting spot. It was kind of a hybrid between a educational facility, sort of like the New York Wine and Culinary Center. So they have a place for 
uh, lectures for wine education. They've got a banquet hall. They've got a production kitchen. They've got anything and everything. This, this really nice uh, wine cellar room where you can rent that out for you know, conferences and other things. It's a beautiful little restaurant with a lot of local sourcing. They get a lot of their produce from the uh, Tompkins farm, which is very cool. And they also had what was impressive was how many local wines they had, not only by the bottle, but by the glass. And I believe all their beers were locally sourced as well, which is kind of unique. It's one of those things that I've become more and more conscious of as I've been working on um, my project called, frankly, looking at where things are sourced from. And the focus on local when it comes to beverage, I think is a bit underplayed here in Rochester. We need, I think there's this, there's this need to focus on things from everywhere instead of necessarily focusing on what's around here. And, you know, there's ups and downs to, of course, ups and downs to sourcing locally. But I think there's a lot of quality to be gotten right now. And it's nice to visit a place that really makes that a focus of what they do. So Cultivari was a nice stop. Uh, I think the fourth stop was a Ethiopian place called Hawi, and that was H-A-W-I. And along our tour, we actually walked through the new Ithaca Commons, which last time I was down there was under construction. And it's a very nice, very nice walkable little section of former street that has a lot of different, a lot of different touristy things to do. Tons of little restaurants, uh, bookstores, things like that. Makes uh, makes the whole downtown a little bit more walkable. Feels very, uh, very community-like in that whole area. But this uh, Howie Ethiopian, we stopped in and had a bunch, had a nice little plate of Ethiopian food. I think it was what split peas, some beets, some Burberry chicken, and nice little plate. And we finished at a vegan cafe, which was above a bookstore, and it was also Star Trek themed which obviously a bit of a weird combination, but I was very impressed with the cinnamon roll with this faux cream cheese frosting they had on there. Not a big fan of cream cheese frosting in general. I actually only like one kind of cream cheese really. And that's like a garlic, like a garlic herb cream cheese or sometimes a just a general herbed cream cheese. For whatever reason, I never, I didn't grow up eating cream cheese, so I don't have much of a taste for it, especially on the sweet side of things. I don't like cheesecake. Definitely don't like cheese, uh, cream cheese frosting. Not my kind of thing. And it, that tang just sort of plays wrong for me, which is weird because I like like tang in almost everything else I eat, from goat cheese to savory food. I love vinegar on just about everything. But for whatever reason, on, on sweet foods, it doesn't usually grab me the right way. But the cinnamon roll they had had great texture, and it was it was a nice end to our day. And that we, we finished up, it was only about three hours and change, but we fit in a lot in that time period. So if you are interested in checking out more in Ithaca, and you're the kind of person that does well on these kind of tours, um, I, I, I have a bit of a personal thing. I don't like being wrangled very much. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if everybody's just the same way or that was me. But, you know, it's a tour. You have to keep moving pretty quickly to get through everything in a relatively short period of time. And you know, we hit a lot of spots in a short, really a short three hours. One of the other things I really enjoyed on the tour was 
we ended up in this, I don't know what to call it. It was kind of an alley, which was, <clears throat> it was really well designed, had this very modern feel. And I think it was called Press. It was where Press Cafe was. And it was very, very modern designed, had this almost modular look. And it seems like the kind of thing that we could really execute somewhere here in Rochester. It's those little spaces that make make neighborhoods feel more walkable. I'm not exactly sure how we could execute something like that, but I definitely took a couple pictures, something to reference in the future. The design was kind of striking and felt just super comfortable. They do little, they do like a Harry Potter themed Halloween festival over there. The kind of place that just, it, it felt great. And I hope to see more of those little designs here around town to you know, build out neighborhoods a bit more. Anyways, if you like going on tours, I would recommend checking out. Uh, we had Seth was our tour guide, but it's uh, Ithaca is foodies and it's Ithaca is foodies.com. And again, thanks to Chris Clemens from exploring upstate for making that happen. It's, it takes some doing and I, I think we're going to end up doing more of these things in the future. So I'm sure you'll see that coming out from everybody that goes on it because we're all a bit social media obsessed. Um, let's see what's next on the list for this week. Just going to grab a little bit of water. Um, I think we'll do a couple openings and closings of uh, Rochester places. Hope that's not too obnoxious. <laughs> um one of the uh, closing recently was Petrillo's Bakery, which is over on Lyle Ave. Old school Italian bakery, been around for a long time. You know, another one of those places in the that uh, old school Italian neighborhood on the Lyle J Street area that is now closed. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time getting to know them. I, I actually, it's weird. I went and looked on Facebook. The only thing I really knew them for was these soft rolls that were referred to locally as hard rolls. It's really the only thing I knew about them. And once they, once I heard they were closing and spent a few minutes going back and looking at their Facebook page, and they had some really, really impressive cake designs. They did a bunch of different breads that was wholesaled to a lot of different local businesses. So it's a it's a bit of a blow to the local community to see that go away. There's still plenty of you know old school bakeries from Marticello's and was it? I think Gaetano's and a bunch of old places. But, you know, it's a, still a shame to see, you know, a family-owned business close in our area. Um, on the opening side, something that I'd been waiting for because I'm a big fan of uh, one of the owner's original places, Itacate, out in Penfield, and also on the gate side in the grocery store on Buffalo Buffalo Road, is uh, Lulu Taqueria. And I believe that's that's in Fairport. I'm just going to open that up for a second. Yeah, it's it's not is I wouldn't say it's as traditional Mexico as um Itacate is. Uh Jose Abarca is one of the partners in the restaurant, but he's not the only guy. It's a bit of a hybrid place. Uh one of the guys had experience a bunch of a bunch of different places, which was kind of interesting. Uh, Tracy Schumacher wrote a nice article that came out today, which is uh, March 28th. So she wrote a nice article talking about the different owners. It's got a, I think they, they said it had this California vibe. The menu looks great. 
Um, it still has this Mexican feel to it, but not, um, I wouldn't say as traditional as Itacante is, which isn't necessarily bad. As long as the food's delicious, I'm happy to go there. But it is, let's see what the address is real quick. So it's in Fairport. Oh, it's it's in the box factory. So if you know where the box factory is, you'll be able to go there and check it out. So that's interesting. And then I think the only other one that's coming up soon is uh, the opening of Steadfast, which will be on um, on East Ave in the old Matthews East End Grill location, which uh, gets a lot of traffic and seems like a bit of a casual, fast, almost fast casual, like some sandwich vibes, some cocktails. And that should be another interesting opening, uh, along with uh, Locals Only, which is... Uh, an episode I recorded an episode with some of the people from there, which will be coming out in a few weeks. So stay tuned for that. Um, I think that's I think that's about it for right now locally. There's also a place that opened in East Rochester that Michael Warren Thomas was talking about, uh, a chef that had a lot of experience in and around Rochester. Um, something it's, it's not, he had a lot of experience. What, what where is he? He was at the uh, old Bomba Bistro which I, it was one of my first fine dining experiences here in Rochester. I remember this mushroom soup they did, which was just fantastic. Um, yeah, and this was, yeah, it's called Crave in East Rochester from uh, Chef Jay Cohen. And apparently he'd been out of the full restaurant game for a while. So something I'm actually looking forward to checking out, especially since uh, Michael Warren Thomas from um, For the Love of Food and The Grapevine, uh, on the radio, he was telling me about it. And when he recommends something, I'm typically, he's he's a pretty picky guy like me. So I'm excited to go check that out as well. I think that's, I think that's about where I want to cut off the food talk for this week. And I'm going to take a quick break and come back and talk a bit about movies and some music things that I've been thinking about recently. And welcome back to the Food About Town podcast. This is a sort of a random episode. And talking about movies, um, I've actually watched a lot more movies in this uh, this year than I have in a long time, mostly because uh, around Christmas time, my wife and I got subscriptions to MoviePass. For those that aren't aware of MoviePass yet, one, you really need to be. And two, it's a subscription-based service where you can go to any movie, any day of the week. Uh, one movie every day it has to be 2D. It can't be IMAX or 3D. And the only real caveat is you have to go to the theater to check in. So if it's a first-run movie, opening day, crazy busy like Star Wars or Black Panther, the likelihood of there being seats available when you show up are very low. But what you can do is go see the movie a few weeks after, or go to a theater that maybe isn't quite as packed or see movies that just aren't as popular right away. So what we did, we subscribed on a monthly basis around then, which is $10 a month. And I know right now they're running specials as low as $7 a month if you subscribe for a whole year. 
So even if you just see one movie every month, you're getting your value out of it. And for for the wife and I, we've been using it sort of as a, a nice, it's a nice option for a date night. Or if we just want to go relax for a little bit instead of, you know, watching movies on the TV, you get the whole theater experience. Um, we spend a lot more time at the Little Theater, which one, obviously a great place. Um, you know, cool little cafe. They keep on doing renovations, which is great. They're just replacing seats in one of the one of the theaters now, upgrading equipment. So a place that one you love supporting. But we've we've seen a lot more movies this year, and of course, because you see more movies, I have a lot more opinions about them. Um, we did recently see. Um, we I think we've gone through most of the Oscar nominees, and obviously this is a bit dated, but whatever. I'm going to talk about it anyways. We just saw The Shape of Water last week at the Little Theater. And for for anybody that hasn't seen it already, I'm not going to do spoilers. That's not really my style. But the kind of movie, it's it's got this weird vibe. It was based in the 60s. It's a Guillermo del Toro movie. If, you haven't, if you've seen any of his movies like uh, Hellboy or, um, oh, he did Pacific Rim, the first Pacific Rim. And his big other movie that was, oh, right, Pan's Labyrinth, which kind of has more of a similar vibe to that. But this one's, it's weird. It's weird. It's kind of a mainstream, almost romantic drama, but based around a, based around a fish man and a, um, a mute lady. It was surprisingly touching, very well done, a beautiful movie. Uh, the colors are fantastic. I was describing it to somebody recently where it kind of had this, you know, almost almost steampunky vibe, but not not quite as ornate as that. It had it was just beautifully, beautifully shot and maintained a lot of a lot of personal relationships, which you don't see done that well in a lot of movies. And that's pretty much all this was even though there wasn't a lot of dialogue between the two main, there was no dialogue between the two main characters other than, um, yeah, no, no verbal dialogue. There were, there was uh, sign language used between characters, but no dialogue, but it was, the communication was so obvious when you watched it. Um, I'm not sure. I thought it was the best movie I saw this year. I think get out was probably the best movie I saw this year. Or also Phantom Thread, I really loved. I'll talk about those another time. Um, but um, Shape of Water was definitely worth watching. And I'm really happy I got to see it in a theater and see it at the Little because it's kind of a great venue for that kind of movie. Because it it's very quirky and it's weird how much you start identifying with, you know, a <laughs> fish monster. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, it's well worth seeing if you haven't. Uh, but like I said, I'm not sure it was the best movie I saw uh, this season. The other, the other one I wanted to talk about this week was um, I do have an affinity for horror movies, and you know I, I'm okay with some high concept and some weird things that happen. You know, some of our uh, favorite ones were like the original. Oh, what was what was it? Um, there was a, a couple Insidious. The original Insidious was quite good and Sinister. You know, they're both a little high concept, a bit, a bit, you know, it does. they didn't work as well in the sequels, but the concepts were really nice. 
But one we saw in the theater was Strangers, uh, The Strangers Pray at Night. We went in and didn't know that it was a sequel, which is a weird way to go see a movie in a theater when you don't know why anything's happening. And uh, we sit through the movie. You know, it's it, there's no explanation for why anything happens, why the bad guys are doing what they're doing. And I walk out of the movie, I'm bewildered. And I was... <laughs> I, it was weird because it's it's obviously the kind of movie that was suited more towards um, the teenage demographic. It was kind of perfect. I heard you know a group of teenagers walk out and say, "Oh, it was so scary and so uh, I loved it. It was great." And I couldn't have been more frustrated with the lack of motivation from the characters. Nothing made sense. Everything seemed rushed. The plot didn't. It just didn't engage me at all. And I walk out and we look on IMDb. I'm like, oh, it was a sequel. So maybe, maybe they explained some of that stuff in the first one. Um, maybe they explained why these people were doing what they're doing in the first one. It turns out the first one came out in 2008. And I'm like, okay, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Even though I, I, I couldn't have been more frustrated walking out of that movie. We, we go home and we get it streaming and we watch the original and it turns out it's basically exactly the same movie with no explanation why the villains are doing what they're doing. And it turns out I was completely justified in being frustrated with the second movie. Not only did they have no motivation, they just duplicated the first movie in a different scenario. Uh, the main characters are equally as annoying. They make equally stupid choices trying to get away from these bad guys. And I, I, I try to give at least a benefit of the doubt when I'm watching a horror movie, because I know a lot of them, they, they just have nothing behind them. There's no substance whatsoever. I still get caught with the stupid jump scares every time. And the wife laughs at me well-deservedly uh, because, <laughs> because I'm, I'm getting caught by the jump scares. And the weird thing is the first one, even though I knew it was going to be basically a reboot partway through, um, you know, the, the second one was a reboot of the first one. I was more freaked out because we were watching it at home and it's basically a home invasion movie. Even though it's the same movie as the second one, I was more freaked out at home. And I'm not even sure I should give them credit for that because the environment I watch it in shouldn't determine how much I enjoyed it. But in this case, I guess I enjoyed it more than the second one. This is Strangers of 2008. Um, I enjoyed it more than the second one. Actually, I'm just, I'm just going to double check that. I, don't, I think it was 2008 anyways. Let's see. Straight, the Strangers. 2008, yeah. So uh, the first one was with Liv Tyler and I don't know who Scott Speedman is, but he's the other star of the movie. Uh, really, the star is the random home invasion acts of violence and terror that they do. So I guess no spoilers, but who cares because it's a dumb movie. And I would not recommend going to see Strangers Pray at Night, and it's probably already out of the theaters at this point, or pretty damn close, or going back and watching The Strangers from 2008. Not a fan. Um, and we'll definitely, I'm going to come back and tackle some of the other movies that we saw. And I know it's way late, but I don't care because I'm doing whatever I want to do today. Um, I think I want to talk about two other things, one local, one not. Um, 
We'll talk for a few minutes about the comedy club at the Carlson, which is right next to Radio Social. And another place that I, I think even it's picking up really quick. They bring in a lot of great acts. It's kind of the perfect room, kind of the perfect size room for bigger comedians to come in from New York or other areas to work out or headliners that don't do giant theaters or anything like that. It's kind of the perfect size room. Got really good crowds that I've seen there. And I've seen some comedians that I absolutely love. I got to see uh, Robert Kelly recently, which was a great show. He's kind of right on top of his game right now. We got to see Colin Quinn working out recent material. Um, it was before his uh, heart attack he had recently. But this is uh, new material he's working on. What else do we see there? We've we've seen some great people there already. And I'm I'm just thrilled that we have a comedy club that's got this kind of venue. They also do a podcast. It's uh, hosted by Vinny Paulino, um, one of my arch rivals for the best podcast, best local podcast in the city newspaper. They were up for that last year. And they actually, what they do is they interview all of a lot of the headliners coming in. They have a video aspect. They go out on Facebook and they also do a audio podcast as well. So I'd recommend checking out the uh, Comedy at the Carlson podcast to listen to the interviews of all the people coming into Rochester. Sometimes they get some interesting perspectives and well, well worth listening to. Very, very engaging stuff. So I would definitely recommend uh, subscribing to their podcast or checking it out on Facebook Live. And I'm, I'm going to be a regular there going forward. I'm a huge comedy fan. I listen to a lot of it, watch a lot of it on, you know, I watch the specials coming out on Netflix. And I'm, I'm excited because we get real comedians. They've got a couple different rooms there that are kind of fantastic. So uh, if you like comedy at all, I'd highly recommend checking out the comedy at the Carlson for your comedy needs here in Rochester. Um, take another quick break and I'll be right back. We're going to finish out our major topics this week, talking about one of the musicians I've listened to most over the course of my life. A lot of it front loaded in you know middle school, elementary school, and high school, but probably the one I still know the best over just about any musicians, uh, other than maybe the Beatles, was um, Weird Al Yankovic. I spent so much time listening to his albums when I was younger. I had this almost encyclopedic knowledge of his songs, the whole catalog from top to bottom. Um, reason it kind of came up recently was um, he's gone out on a tour recently that I just barely missed here in Rochester. It wasn't in Rochester, it was in Ithaca and also in Buffalo. This is his new the ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised vanity tour where he does a lot of a lot of the more obscure songs, a lot of the originals and songs that, you know, if you're um, the kind of person who knows him just for the his hits, um, it, it just feel it feels, by the way, it feels condescending just to even say that because 
it's it's the kind of thing you hear from like a Bruce Springsteen fan when they go to a concert and they don't play any of the hits. They don't play Born to Run. They don't play Born in the USA. Uh, any of those songs, and they absolutely love it. They don't want to hear any of the hits. I'm kind of the same way with, kind of the same way with Weird Al. I've seen him in concert, I think, three different times, and anytime they do like the big Michael Jackson covers or White and Nerdy or uh, Amish Paradise. I mean, I, I love those songs. They're they're still classics for me. Um, because I mean, it was such such a big part of my childhood. I listen to these things all the time. Um, and I I celebrate their entire catalog, his entire catalog from, you know, a self-titled album back in the early eighties, all the way through till today. I mean, they all, all the different albums have had an influence on music I like to listen to. And a lot of songs I, I learned about by listening to him. I had no idea a lot of these songs were even covers or parodies when I listened to them the first time. Um, and it was, um, it was the kind of thing when, when you're, when you're a kid who had a lot of time on their hands and liked funny things, but didn't know how to have a sense of humor about himself. It was kind of the perfect thing for me. And I appreciated all the, you know, you know, the effort that went into making these parodies so well done. And I, I just latched onto the whole thing. Also, a lot of the topics were super engaging for a younger kid like me you know, from, you know, food and TV and covering nerdy topics. It was, it was kind of perfect for that time and place for me. And I listened to a ton of it working in my, working at home in my, fa- uh, the family business. My, my family has a greenhouse business. I remember just late nights working, listening to those albums on repeat. And it was something that, you know, my dad and I could connect on too. We, we both liked both like silly songs and parodies and things like that. And Dr. Demento, uh, we had the anniversary albums and, um, I, I, I was, it was weird. I, I got to thinking about it recently just because of this tour and that I, I missed it coming through our area. I had things going on both of those nights and couldn't go out, but maybe want to see if I can catch one of the later shows on the tour. Maybe, maybe it swings back a little bit closer towards the East coast or I don't know, maybe I'll take a driving trip out there and check it out. He's playing songs that, you know, maybe you'll never play in concert again, just because they're obscure, weird songs from earlier albums. And it's the kind of thing I, I think I kind of need to go see. I don't, you know, I've seen him in weird venues. I saw him at the ag, the ag center at the Erie County fair, which is a big concrete box with folding chairs. So before his most recent resurgence, I, I saw him there and it was, you know, it was so, it was so delightful, but almost depressing at the same time, because it wasn't the kind of venue that I thought, you know, he deserved to play in. And now he's doing these, you know, nice venues all around in different towns and selling out. And it's, it's kind of fantastic for, to see it go back to being mainstream. I mean, he just did a Hamilton polka, which apparently got on the charts the first charting polka song, I don't know, it was the you know, first digital charting polka song ever. And it's kind of great to see the acceptance of something that, um, you know, I always felt, I always felt embarrassed about. I always felt, I don't kind of bad about for whatever reason, you know, it's an insecure teenager and insecure kind of person. I always felt bad about it. And it's, it's great to see, Great to see him playing bigger venues. Great to see him being appreciated. And now going on a tour, just doing 
doing things for the hardcore fans. I'm not sure I'd call myself hardcore anymore just because I, I don't actively listen to a lot of the stuff anymore, but I still have the, like this, this like latent knowledge of the entire catalog that just sits in the back of my brain waiting to be awoken. Anytime, anytime I, uh, anytime I listen to it or hear a random song, I can just pop right back in. So I'm hoping to go and catch that at some point. Um, so I'd be interested if any of you out there are, you know, fans of that kind of music. If you were listening to Dr. Demento when you were younger or Weird Al or you're still a big fan, I'd love to know. So um, throw me a message, uh, you know, mention it on uh, Twitter, at Stromy, just to let me know. We'll have a conversation about it. I, I find it fascinating that he's still popular and the kind of thing that, um, you know, kind of, it, that, it's it's not a validation of all the time and time spent listening to it and memorizing all the lyrics and all that kind of stuff. It, there's no justification for that. It's still a disaster, but um, it's great to see it go a bit more mainstream again now. So yeah, let, let me know. Let me know if you were a Weird Al fan or if you have a musical uh, love that I don't know if you find it's kind of the guilty pleasure thing. I, I don't feel guilty about it, but the kind of thing you, you always felt like other people would judge you for this kind of music that you listen to. Um, let me know if you have one of those, um, hacky radio topic, but whatever I'm going to do it anyways. So this is the first of my experiments going, I don't know, first or second going through, uh, random topics. And, uh, let me know what you thought about the whole thing. And I keep on trying and getting better. So, Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll be back next week with episode 100 of the Food About Town podcast with, I think we're going to, I think next week's going to be Lynn Phillips from Sriracha Says, and we did a really nice interview going through, uh, you know, how she got started and all that kind of stuff. So um, stay tuned next week for episode 100 of the Food About Town podcast. Thanks so much for being a listener, and see you next week.